0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibese Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about Disney's shutdown of Blue Sky Studios, then after that, we'll get into the aftermath of Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda, then after that, we'll get into the state of Android messaging two years after Aloe. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Alright, so first up, welcome back. Um, I know it's been two weeks. I took last week off because I was just exhausted um, from the Sky Climbers interview and then the gaming advocate interview um, a few days after that. So... Yeah, um, the beginning of this month was pretty exhausting for me, but it was awesome nonetheless, so I'm happy that it happened. Um, But yeah, I just needed to take a week break and um, reset, and and now I'm ready to get back into it. So first up, we're going to talk about disney shutdown of blue sky studios because i haven't talked about this on the show before so let me go ahead and get my thoughts just out of the way um and yeah um let's do it so um about or over a month ago disney announced that it would be shutting down blue sky studios And the studio was home to about 450 employees in Greenwich, Connecticut. And that studio was probably one of the only theatrical grade animation studios on the East Coast. So you could tell that pretty or people were pretty heartbroken about this announcement. Um and also Disney announced that there would be a or that their final day would be in April. So, yeah. Hang on. All right, that's better. So, Yeah, the studio's not shut down yet, but, um, it is winding down operations to prepare for that shutdown. So, um, so, like, yeah, it was pretty, um, it was pretty frustrating. A lot of people were mad about this, and rightfully so, um, and I'll explain why. Um, so... Um, Disney, uh, or I at least, or one of the things that was not really clear um, after Disney had acquired 21st Century Fox, which was how they got ownership of Blue Sky Studios in the first place, was Blue Sky's fate within Disney. Because Disney already has two... Theatrical grade animation studios. They have Walt Disney Animation Studios, which is responsible for Frozen and the last, or Raya and the Last Dragon, which just released a couple weeks ago. Um, And then they have Pixar, which is known for films like the Toy Story franchise, the Cars franchise. Um, the Incredibles franchise and so on and so forth. So Disney has two pretty talented um, and like really experienced animation studios under its belt. So um, so we weren't sure what adding a third one or would do for Disney. And what, you know, they would do with the company. Um, And people were worried that, you know, Blue Sky may be shut down. And unfortunately with this announcement, those fears have come true. Um, Another tidbit that um, I did want to mention was that uh, Disney will retain Blue Sky's intellectual properties. So, um, Blue Sky was a studio that you know made like Ice Age and Robots and uh, Rio um, and most recently Spies in Disguise Um, so Disney will retain Blue Sky's intellectual properties but um, the studio is still going to be shut down and I should also mention that um Disney is working with the employees of Blue Sky Studios to try and find them other positions within Disney's other animation studios like uh Disney or Walt Disney Animation Studios and Pixar. So at least some of those 450 employees may find jobs elsewhere within Disney. So, at least that's good, but for everyone else who is going to lose their job, you know, um, my heart goes out to you, and I hope that you do find something somewhere, Um, and I'm sure that um, other animation studios are probably looking for talented people such as yourselves, Um, but... Um, I, I do want to talk about what the animation industry lost with the shutdown. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, like the animation industry lost one of the only theatrical grade animation studios on the East Coast of the United States. Uh, so, most animation studios are usually in uh, California, or, uh, Texas, or Atlanta, or, or, well, Georgia, um, or somewhere else, um, usually on the West Coast, but, um, I guess Atlanta's kind of the East Coast, but, um, I mean, as far as, like, theatrical-grade animation studios, they're mostly on the West Coast, um, But um, Blue Sky was kind of the only outlier there where, you know, there was a theatrical-grade animation studio on the East Coast. So, of course, people are going to be sad with its shutdown. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I can't really blame them. Um, And then another... Thing that the animation industry lost was a theatrical-grade studio that was able to change its animation style with each movie. And I think that's pretty important because when you look at movies from other studios, particularly those that Disney owns, like Disney Animation Studios and Pixar, a lot of those movies have very similar um, you know, character designs and, um, just, um, a lot of, or just a lot of similar elements with each movie. They all are like the characters kind of share very similar design sensibilities. And Blue Sky was unique in that, um, in that it was able to shift its um, character designs and its like, design sensibilities with each movie I mean take a look at Ice Age and it doesn't look anything like robots or um, you take say Spies in Disguise and it doesn't look anything like the Peanuts movie um, so like clearly, um, Blue Sky adapts the needs of, or adapts the design to, um, each individual movie. And I think that's important because not a lot of theatrical grade animation studios do that. Um, so Blue Sky was also unique in that sense. Um, And then one more thing, um, well, I mean, it's, of course, the studio that brought movies like Ice Age and Rio and robots. And um, and while Disney is keeping those intellectual properties, we don't know what Disney is going to do with them because they may just sit on them well, except for Ice Age, um, Disney is, um, reportedly trying to make a Disney Plus series, um, using Ice Age, or using the Ice Age intellectual property, so, um, at least there's that, but other Blue Sky, um, intellectual properties, we don't know what Disney's going to do with them, they may just sit on them, um, And that's pretty unfortunate because I don't want that to happen. Um, you know, these, these, um, characters and these franchises have resonated with at least some people. Um, so, um, I hope that Disney, if they're going to use them at least, um, you know, make good content out of it because Disney, I mean, while some people may, um, criticize them for their business practices, I mean, you do gotta give them at least a little bit of credit. Like they, or when they produce stuff, um, more often than not, it's pretty high quality. So, um, yeah. Uh, but I think, The most damning thing about this shutdown is that we lost an animation studio, a pretty big animation studio at that, um, during the time where demand for animated content is very high due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Because remember, live action content is still in flux, like there are certain people who are... Um, able to go back and do some live action productions, but um those have been reduced across the board um in Hollywood. So um whereas with animation, you know, you can easily make anime well I shouldn't say easily, but you can make animated content at home um if you have the right gear. And um it's more pandemic friendly, if you will. So, so yeah, I mean, um, Disney shutting down a studio like Blue Sky during a time when, or when, um, animation or demand is very high, you know, is just a bit more damning, um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all um, I have to say. Um, once again, my heart goes out to everybody affected um, by this shutdown. Um, I do hope that you'll find work. And um, as far as my personal thoughts about this, I am pretty sad that uh, Blue Sky is going to be um, shut down Um It obviously sucks. I do wish that Disney could have found another use for the studio or could have sold it off to a different company um, where they could have at least, you know, kept the studio alive and, you know, um, gotten more use out of it. Like, um, I'm sure that there are other... You know, big media companies that could use another animation studio. Um, But unfortunately, um, that's not what happened here. Um, And it's pretty sad. But let me know what your thoughts are on Disney's shutdown of Blue Sky Studios. Um, Do you think that Disney was right to do this um, because of all of the. Um, or all of the complexities around COVID and everything, or do you think that, you know, this is just further proof that Disney is becoming a monopoly and that they're a horrible company and what have you. I do want to know your thoughts, whatever they are on social media or on discord, and we can continue the conversation there, but that's going to do it for this topic and We'll see you in the next one. Up next, we'll be getting into the aftermath of Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda. Then after that, we'll get into the state of Android messaging two years after Allo. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, if I can do it, You can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, that's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then, last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android, or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. This episode is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p o d g o.co. And be sure to add the Cells and Circuits podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application, which really helps out the show. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuit Shop, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuit Shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk about the aftermath of Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda. So, if you don't know, Microsoft's acquisition of ZeniMax Media, which is the owner of Bethesda, as well as other studios, um, at closed last week for $7.5 billion, which is absolutely insane. Um... But um, yeah, I mean, so that means that the following studios are now under Microsoft's control, including Alpha Dog Games, Arcane Studios, Bethesda Softworks, Id Software, Machine Games, Roundhouse Studios, Tango Gameworks, and ZeniMax Online Studios. So all of those companies that I just mentioned are now owned by Microsoft. And um, we'll get into the pros and cons of this acquisition because, you know, there are some good things to come of this, but there are also some bad things to come of this. So, er, and there are... Um, and it also leaves questions about um, where Xbox Game Studios come or goes from here. So, um, yeah, we're going to get into all of that. So, first, let's get into the pros of this acquisition. Um, the most obvious one should be that Xbox Game Pass's value immediately strengthens with most of Zenimax titles all but confirmed for the service. So, with Microsoft now pushing Game Pass harder than ever, including um, with cloud streaming via Game Pass Ultimate, and with all of the first-party titles that are pretty much not leaving Xbox Game Pass ever, Um, Now you have even more first party titles or even, well, yeah, even more first party titles um, coming to Game Pass via the Zenimax acquisition. So all of Zenimax's titles are pretty much fair game for Xbox Game Pass, um, with 20 of them having hit the service already. Um, and we don't know if, or I don't know if there are more uh Zenimax titles that still need to uh come to the service, but um, I do know that there are quite a lot of um Zenimax titles that people want to play that are already on the service, like the week that the Uh, Acquisition closed, so that's so that's pretty cool. Um, another thing or another pro of this acquisition is that Microsoft gets access to id tech, which, if you don't know, is a um, game engine that um, was created by id software and is used. Um, in games like Doom um, and some other uh, ZeniMax um, titles, um, they use id software. And I believe they even, at one point, licensed it to third-party studios before ZeniMax um, acquired id software. So, um, so, it's been used in other... Um, in other companies' games, too. So um, it should be interesting to see what Microsoft um, would do with id Tech um, because now um, they don't have to, um, or they don't have to license um, game engines like Epic Games' Unreal Engine. Or they don't have to license that for um, future titles for other Xbox game studios, like you know Ninja Theory or Three Four Three Industries or maybe even Playground Games. So other Xbox game studios could use ID Tech um, to uh, make their own games, and they and Microsoft. Um, which owns all of them doesn't have to pay um, Epic Games a fee to use Unreal Engine in their game. Um, since Microsoft owns or owns ID Tech, which is the engine, they can use their own first-party engine now um, across all of their other Xbox Game Studios titles. So um, that should be an interesting. Development and we could earn, and that's something to watch out for in the future um, for Xbox Game Studios titles. Um, And then another thing, another pro for this acquisition is that Zenimax's studios get backing and support from a trillion plus dollar company. Um, So, I mean, I or that one's pretty self-explanatory, um, so, I mean, with all of Microsoft's fuck-you money, basically, um, uh, you know, ZeniMax's studios can get all the backing and support and all the QA testing that they need done and everything, um, because they're owned by Microsoft, um, and then a, another Microsoft-specific pros that Microsoft gets all of these Zenimax um, intellectual property, or IP. Um, so they could use... So other uh, Xbox game studios could use um, maybe some IP that uh, Zenimax is sat on Um, for a while and could revive it. Um, So, you know, those are kind of the possibilities now with uh, Microsoft owning uh, ZeniMax IP. Um, And then another pro is that Microsoft owns its first Japanese studio in Tango Gameworks. Um, So Microsoft and and the Xbox platform have struggled in Japan um so hopefully with Tango Gameworks um being their first Japanese studio hopefully we could see them um expanding um into or expanding into Japan and being more successful in that region because um with uh JRPGs um in Xbox, well I mean, yeah, it's not or at least with Japanese games and Xbox, like they normally skip over Xbox as a platform. So um I think it's a, a pretty great thing that um ja- or Microsoft <laughs> um is or this is like a small first step into Microsoft's expansion into Japan, and we'll definitely get to that. Um, but um, the last pro that I want to talk about is that people can now play most of Zenimax's games without having to buy a console. So um, before or before um, XCloud exists or existed. Um, like, you had to buy a console, um, in order to play most of ZeniMax's games, um, but now that Microsoft owns xCloud and most of Bethesda's titles are on xCloud, you don't have to buy a console to play those games. You can literally just play them on your phone or tablet um and um or via the xbox game pass app and you don't have to worry about having to you know click a refresh button for an xbox series x or something like that you don't have to worry about that because now or with xcloud you can play those games without having to buy a console provided that you are subscribed to game pass ultimate um so like with a 15 dollar a month subscription uh, you don't have to worry about buying a 500 plus dollar console um so i think that's a great i think that's a great thing but um, because it lowers the barriers for people to play xenomax's games um but yeah, that was, or those were the pros of this acquisition. So let's get into the cons of the acquisition. So first up, um, this one should be pretty obvious with any big merger or acquisition and that it harms competition. So, um, so, um, Like, any future Zenimax titles that aren't already contracted out to other platforms will most likely be exclusive to the Microsoft ecosystem. So, what does that mean? Um, It means that um, with Zenimax, if they don't already have a contract in place to put a game on certain platforms, like, say, PlayStation or Google Stadia or um, the Nintendo Switch or whatever comes after the Nintendo Switch, um, you know, those will most likely be exclusive to the Microsoft eco- or ecosystem, which um, nowadays wouldn't be that big of a deal because, again, Game Pass Ultimate with cloud streaming exists. Um, and so you don't even have to buy a console to play those games, um, but, I mean, I could see how that could definitely exclude, or it still excludes some people, um, so, which is not a good thing, um, in the, or at the end of the day, it's not a good thing, so, um... So, yeah, I could definitely see, um, or, and people have mentioned that. Um, so, yeah, uh, not great for competition. So, um, you know, platforms like PlayStation, Google Stadia, and the Nintendo Switch, and whatever comes after it, uh, lose out on future ZeniMax games. Um, you know, so... PlayStation already has, like, a couple in development, like, um, what was it, um, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, so both of those are coming from ZeniMax Studios, and Microsoft will continue to honor those contracts, but, um, anything else is... Um, Or we don't, or ranges from we don't know to will most likely be a Microsoft ecosystem exclusive. So um, think Xbox consoles, think Windows 10 PCs, and think Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, um, that's, um, so yeah, I mean, look. At the end of the day, I mean, people are going to be excluded from playing Zenimax games, so that's not a good thing. Um, But next up, um, we have that it puts Microsoft in danger of becoming a monopoly. Um, And when you think about this, think about how people are talking about Disney, right? So especially with the acquisitions of, say, um, Marvel, Lucasfilm, and most recently 21st Century Fox, um, people have criticized Disney of, you know, holding basically monopolistic power. Um And so, I think with Microsoft now owning 23 studios under its belt, um, that's something to look out for, um, especially if they, or once they um, expand, um, because they're not done acquiring studios yet. So, I think it'll be important to watch... Um, what Microsoft does next in terms of acquiring studios, Um, but, um, I mean, we'll see. Um, And then also, the amount of intellectual property that it owns also puts Microsoft in danger of becoming a monopoly because they own a lot of intellectual property now, Um, especially with this most recent acquisition of ZeniMax Media. They own a lot of intellectual property, um, and which is a great segue into the next con of um, this acquisition, which is the potential mismanagement of IP by Microsoft. And uh, Microsoft, like it's no secret that you know they've mismanaged some of the um intellectual property that they own. Um and the most obvious example of this is Rare, which is an Xbox game studio that Microsoft acquired, I believe, at the turn of the century. Um so like in the early two thousands, um right before the Xbox or right around the time when the Xbox platform launched um so, um, with rare, you know some key franchises haven't been getting a lot of love Banjo and kazooie <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, uh banjo kazooie hasn't really gotten a lot of love. um perfect dark got uh transferred over to the initiative um, what else? I mean, I don't know if the Viva Pinata franchise is going to be revived. I don't know if Conquer, or I don't know if the Conqueror franchise is going to be revived. So it's like a lot of a lot of mismanagement of intellectual property has gone on at Microsoft, and we don't know if that's going to happen with some of these Zenimax. Intellectual property, so that's something to look out for as well. Um, but that wraps it up for the cons and so last but not least, um where does Xbox game Studios go from here? Well, um I think an obvious move would be to go after Japanese developers because. There may not be as much regulatory um, troubles as um, if they were, whereas, ah, I can't talk today. Um, whereas, if they were to go after like certain developers in the US or the EU, they may um, have to go through some regulatory troubles in order to make that happen because. I think with the US and the EU they may or may not know how big Microsoft is in the video games industry. So um whereas with Japan um that's kind co- or regulatory issues may not really exist over there because Microsoft isn't a huge player in the video game space in Japan, so um, I don't think they'll go through as much trouble grabbing some Japanese developers for the Xbox platform. Um, but yeah, that is pretty much um, going to do it for this topic. Let me know what your thoughts are on the Microsoft acquisition of ZeniMax. Let me know what... um you think could be good and what you think could be bad about this acquisition and let me know what your thoughts are on where xbox game studios can go from here but that is going to do it for this topic up next we'll get into the state of android messaging two years after aloe the cells and circuits podcast will return in a moment Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, settles and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash Cells and Circuits to help make the Cells and Circuits podcast a better show for you. All right, so last up. We'll get into the state of Android messaging two years after Allo. So, for those who don't know, Allo was an app that was made by Google. It was a messaging app made by Google. Um, and it was actually the birthplace of where Google Assistant would appear in. In messaging, so, um, and it also had exclusive features like Whisper, Shout, which no other messaging app has even copied to this day, um, and it had messaging themes and stuff like that, which other messaging apps do. But um, it was kind of at the time, it was. One of the closest things that Android had to iMessage, and it even had an incognito mode, which was end-to-end encrypted like iMessages. So, um, Allo was an app that I used from the day that it launched until the day that it died, which was March twelfth, twenty nineteen. So this month marks the two-year anniversary of its death um and so that's why i wanted to talk about the state of android messaging now um because it's it's been 2 years so um uh, we'll check up on how google is doing with messaging on android so um first up i mean i wrote about the state of android messaging a year after Aloe Died on my portfolio website, so if you want to check that out, I'll link to it in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're listening on, Um, but in that article, I said at the time that Google didn't do a great job of replacing Aloe with RCS, which I'll get into what that stands for in a little bit. But I still stand by that. Um, at the time, yeah, Google didn't really uh, do a great job of replacing uh, Allo with RCS. Because um, at the time, Samsung and other Android manufacturers didn't have uh, Google Messages pre-installed on their phones, leaving them out of RCS support. And then also, Google Messages isn't the default messaging service for all Android phones. And then Google hasn't opened up the RCS APIs in Android to third-party messaging apps. And then, last but not least, Apple doesn't support RCS. So, yeah, I mean, what does... Uh, what does RCS mean? Um, I know you've heard me say RCS quite a few times. So, RCS or Rich Communication Services is a texting standard that allows for higher character counts, higher quality images, videos, and GIFs in text, and, texts, and it even allows you to send files like PDFs and stuff. Um, then, uh, than SMS or MMS uh, due to less compression when sending those types of media. So SMS or Simple Messaging Service um, isn't uh, or wasn't built for smartphones, clearly. Um, So in order to uh, supplant that, um, the GSM Association created rich communication services or RCS um, and that is now the or that should be the texting standard but it is not um, because of a lot of the or because of the um, list or the reasons I listed earlier and um, and RCS I think, RCS should be on all phones. It doesn't matter what manufacturer, doesn't matter what um, operating system, whether it's Android or iOS or or whatever, RCS should be on all phones, um, but it is not, um, and that is unfortunate, and it has, you know, pretty bad societal effects, especially here in the U.S., because now um that leads to the whole green bubble versus blue bubble thing and which has destroyed things like relationships and and friendships and things like that and you know it's it's not good um it like its effect on society especially here in the U.S. is not good um and once again if you're if you're one of those people who's discriminating against people based on what phone they're using, maybe stop doing that. You know, that's not cool. Kind of makes you look like an asshole. You know, just just saying. Um, but anyway, um, let's get more into what has improved in the last year. Um So, ever since I wrote that article, um, there have been things that have improved in terms of RCS adoption, such as worldwide support for RCS as long as Google Messages is your default texting app. So, if your phone has Google Messages, then that means that you already have rcs and you don't really need to do anything else um as long as that is the default texting app Um, but if you don't have rcs um or if you don't have google messages installed on your phone i'll leave a link to um the google play store link where you can um, install google messages and make it your default texting app so that you have RCS and you can send high quality videos and images and GIFs and stuff like that um, without having to really do anything else. That's it. Um, so, so worldwide support for RCS um, is already here thanks to Google Messages, but also Android manufacturers like Samsung And OnePlus and more have Google Messages pre installed on their phones. So that is a great move. Um, And I think that will definitely, or that will definitely increase adoption um, because users or some users may not have the, um, technical know-how to, you know, just, um, install, uh, Google messages if they don't have it installed and set it as the default texting app. Um, so, you know, trying to make it as seamless as possible is the best move to make, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, kudos to manufacturers like Samsung and OnePlus and and LG and Motorola and all those other Android manufacturers for you know having Google Messages pre-installed. Um, and then to take it a step further, um, OnePlus, a a uh, Android manufacturer that has. Traditionally, it had its own messaging app. Um, they had switched over to Google Messages as the default texting app on some of its phones. So I think that's an awesome, awesome move from OnePlus. And, it, and since Google hasn't opened up the third-party uh, APIs, or the uh, RCS APIs, the third-party messaging apps... Um, I think switching over to Google Messages was definitely the right move, so kudos to OnePlus for that. Um, And OnePlus has been um, making a name in the smarts for years, Um, so I think that's awesome that um, now people have access to RCS from their phones. Um, And then last up... um, end to end encryption is currently in beta on um on Google Messages for RCS so that's awesome news which um will put it which will put RCS on par with um competitors like iMessage because iMessage has um Um, end-to-end encryption, so does WhatsApp, um, and Telegram, I believe. So, um, putting the default app on your phone, um, or putting end-to-end encryption on the default app on your phone, um, will definitely reduce the barrier, um, and reduce some of the concerns that people have in terms of privacy, um... So if it's end, so if um, the messages are end-to-end encrypted, um, they don't have to worry about you know governments spying on them or um, you know companies uh, spying on them for ad purposes and things like that. So I think that is a good move, um, especially once end-to-end encryption for Google Messages um, comes out of beta. Um, And everyone has access to it around the world. As long as you have Google messages installed, that would be amazing. And, um, and I think that's just, or that would just be good for everybody. Now, or now that um, we've gotten into what has improved over the last year, I want to talk about what has stagnated, or what hasn't improved. So, um, the CCMI, which I'll get into what that stands for in a little bit, um, hasn't announced anything regarding RCS within the past year. So, the uh, CCMI is the Cross Carrier Messaging Initiative, and... In October 2019, the four big wireless carriers at the time in the U.S., which were AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Sprint, created the Cross-Carrier Messaging Initiative, which is a joint venture meant to implement a universal RCS standard across all of the major carriers. Um... And so, ever since then, um, those four big wireless carriers er, dropped down to three because T-Mobile had acquired Sprint in that time. Um, So, that may have something to do with, or that may be a little bit of a factor in why we haven't gotten any um, new information um, regarding the cross carrier messaging initiative, um, but also um, we just um, well, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I I can't. Um, I'm having trouble gathering my thoughts. Um, so in October 2019, um, like the CCMI was created, but we haven't really gotten any information regarding that. Um, And so I think that's something that's holding up RCS's, um, you know, um, forward progression, if you will. Um, But another thing that's holding up uh, RCS's progression is that Google hasn't opened up, RCS APIs on Android to third-party messaging apps. So, you know, some people may not want to use uh, Google Messages, and they may use they may want to use other apps like Pulse or Textra or something else. Um, but those apps don't have access to the RCS APIs on Android or maybe even their own like manufacturer um, messaging apps. Like those don't even have access to the RCS APIs um, on Android that Google messages does. So I think it would be very important for Google to, you know, change that and open those up uh, so that other messaging apps can use them. And then another thing that's held up uh, RCS's progression is that Apple still doesn't support it. Um, RCS doesn't exist on iPhones. Um, If you use an iPhone, you have iMessage, and then you have SMS or MMS, and that's it. Um, There's no in-between. So I think that Apple should definitely um get on it um with RCS and maybe Apple is waiting until the the CCMI um announces something um I think that could be a I think that could be a possibility as to why Apple doesn't support RCS but another um another possibility is that Apple probably just doesn't want to support RCS because it may drive people away from the iPhone, um, which is, you know, which makes up a very significant part of Apple's revenue. I think it's over half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone. So um, if people move away from iPhones, then... Um, Apple gets less revenue and, you know, for Apple, that's not good. Um, even though they're one of the richest companies on the planet, but whatever. Um, (laughs) and last but not least, um, let's get into what could be done to improve the RCS situation. So as I mentioned, um, First up, Google could open up uh, Android's RCS APIs, including end-to-end encryption when it's available to third-party messaging apps. And I think that's important because um, if they use the end-to-end encryption, I think that will definitely um, reduce the fears that people have against, um, using RCS, which is that, you know, it's not encrypted and anyone could, uh, or anyone, or it could definitely be subject to, uh, government, um, um, to government access. Um, so, um, but also, you know, ads, um, like you could be targeted, Um, with ads based on the things you text to other people. And, you know, people understandably don't like that. Consumers don't like that. Um, So I think that the right thing for Google to do would be to um, open up Android's RCS APIs, including the end-to-end encryption parts and not just make those end to end encryption parts exclusive to Google Messages. Um if that were to happen, I think that would be a very um that would be a very good move on Google's part. Um and then next up, um there are still some Android manufacturers that you know use their own uh messaging apps and if Google isn't going to open up the RCS APIs to third-party messaging apps, then the next best thing that they could do is strike deals with Android phone manufacturers to make Google Messages the default texting app on their devices, um, which would enable people to have access to RCS and would enable people to use it over apps like WhatsApp or or Telegram or things like that, um, and yeah, um, I think that would uh, I think that would be pretty um, important, uh, f- or that would be a pretty important move for Google to make. Um, should that first point not happen, um, but next up is the cross carrier messaging initiative or the CCMI should make their RCS app available as soon as possible um, you know like we haven't heard anything from the CCMI in almost a year and a half ever since it was announced um, so the so the uh, like the sooner they announce something like an RCS app um, available for Android phones and um, you know, iPhones um, sometime in the future. Hopefully um, that should um, that should be a uh, er, I hope that um, the CCMI makes that announcement soon or sooner rather than later. And then finally, Um, I think Apple should support RCS in a future iOS update to finally bring the new texting standard to iPhones. Because, let's be honest here, Apple pulls a lot of weight in the uh, tech industry. Whatever Apple does, other tech companies will follow. So, if Apple makes a move to support RCS which is the right thing to do, Apple, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> if Apple makes a move to support RCS, then um, then the whole industry may end up moving towards supporting RCS. Um, and I think that would go a very, very long way into making RCS adoption as wide as possible, but um, yeah, I mean that um, that should pretty much do it. Um, I th- or let me know what you think of the state of Android messaging um, right now. Is do you think it has improved ever since Aloe died? Do you think that it has stagnated ever since Aloe died? Let me know what your thoughts are on social media or on Discord. Links will be in the show notes for you to do that. And yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for this topic and this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Cells and Circuits podcast, the place for tunes, tech, and where they intersect. Let me know what you think of any of the topics discussed on social media or on Discord via the Flow page link in the show notes. If you like this content, share it on social media and give it a review to help more people find it. If you want to see even more content just like this, consider supporting Cells and Circuits on Coffee or visiting the Cells and Circuits shop. The Cells and Circuits podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Chibeze Onakor. Our intro, outro, and transition music was made by Tiffy3. That'll do it for this episode. So until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off.